turn in your Bibles, oh, to Revelation chapter 2 and Luke chapter 15. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how did I get here and how do I get out? How did I arrive into this current circumstance or the state in which I'm living? What is, what is going on around me, especially what now I'm finding to go on within me? Have you ever come to the place of realizing that you've been doing the same old thing over and over again for so long that you've kind of lost your motivation for it? We call that getting stuck in the rut. Have you ever been in the place where, you know, uh, you've gotten hit or bumped or confronted by the crazy circumstances of life one time too many and something in your soul has been stolen and you feel yourself with a little bit of a bend in your life and you're not responding to life the way you used to because you've, you've lost something can't put your finger on it, but you know that you're not living with the fervor and the, the pleasantness of life and the delight of life that you used to live. How did I get here and how do I get out? Or may, maybe you're in a really hard circumstance and it's gotten so hard that you don't know what the next step can be. You've hit the wall. Don't know where you can go from here. In the, the, the word impossible has now entered your atmosphere and you're not knowing what to do with it. How did I get here? And how do, how do I get out? Here's the funny thing is that you may even know how to get out. It might be that you could tell somebody else how to get out, but you yourself can't seem to get over that hump. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're thinking, I know what to do. I know how to do it. But for some reason, the motivation's just not here to do it. How did I get here? And how do I get out? We're in this series, I call it. It's really a word for God. Relaunch your faith. What do we really mean by that? Well, the first week we brought a word to the table. The word is genuineness. Genuineness. This is not just about us being genuine to who we are. It's about us being genuine to who we are in Christ. When you became a Christian, you didn't just choose a different lifestyle. You didn't just say, I'm going to belong to a different culture and so I'm going to live now a certain way and act a certain way, and, and I'm going to look like a Christian because I'm doing these things. That's not what happened to you. When you came to Jesus Christ, you were, in fact, the Bible calls it, Jesus identifies it as being born again. You actually started all over. You were given the new creature within you, the, the, the new creation in Christ was put inside of you and, and everything inside of you now had fresh life, new life, and your personality came alive and things that were dead came alive. I mean, there was a part of you that you didn't know was there because it wasn't there. 
You were actually made into a new person. That's what I mean by the word genuineness. Because a lot of times I feel like we're just kind of going through the motions of looking like a Christian, like just kind of living the cultural Christian lifestyle instead of going back to the genuine article of what actually happened to me. Jesus was not in my heart, and now he is. You know, that's the genuine article. I've been born again. I'm a new person. Okay, and that will, that'll stir something up. <laughs> you know, that'll, that'll get us back there, won't it? That, that'll help us get there. Last week, we dealt with the word steadfast, steadfastness. Now, that's an old word. We don't usually use that word. It means immovable. It means founded and grounded. It's a word that is, it's a strong word. It's a word with strength. And we went to 1 Peter chapter 5 and dealt specifically with what that was and, and discovered that we need to come back to that place of being strong in who we are as a believer in Christ and be steadfast in it. Peter said, be steadfast in the faith. And so we talked about that last week. If we're going to relaunch, we're going to have to come back to the foundation and the strength of who we are in Christ. But there's still something missing. There's still something missing. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Now, if you've been a believer for years, you'll have read this. You'll have heard sermons on it. Let's look. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, Jesus is in his resurrected, not only that, but um, glorified state. And he's already ascended to heaven, but he has come in a vision to John and he is giving him messages to give to seven specific churches. These are not just spiritual entities. These are seven actual churches in in, in, a, in, in a similar region, by the way, uh, in the Greece-Asia region, uh, there, there are these seven churches. And Jesus is telling John to give each church a word, and here's the word for the church of Ephesus. These, thing, these things says, uh, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Let me, let me explain that. What, what is the golden lampstand? Why seven? There are seven churches. And, uh, and so the lampstand is the light of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. And in every church dynamic, there is a light. There's a lampstand. And either that lampstand is there and on and burning, or it's not. And it's God's choice. Jesus decides whether there's a lampstand in the church or not. That's scary. <laughs> Let's read it. You'll see it. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake 
and have not become weary. Wow, that's a great church. Jesus is not, he's not just sliding them. He's saying, these are your qualities and they are awesome. Man, he's getting, he's giving them a high five. Then he turns around and says this, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. That awesome, persevering, powerful church, righteous church, is in a fallen state because they've lost their first love. And he says, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Get an idea here that it's not good enough just to have your ducks in a row and have your theology right and actually, you know, test, you know, who's, who's real and who's not. And it's not enough to persevere and be a strong, believing church. If you don't have your first love, none of that matters. That's what he said. He said, if you don't repent and return to your first love, even with all of those qualities, I will take the lampstand. What is that? What is the first love? Some people say, uh, people ask me between services, what are the first works? First he says, return to your first love. Then he says, and do the first works. Well, just let me say this to you. You return to your first love, you'll do the first works. Or go back to your early Christianity and remember what life was like and what you were willing to do and what you were involved in and what you were doing with your family, and how you were living out the gospel, those were the first words. I'm, I've been looking for a word, see, when in knowing that this was here. There's got to be a word that can help us dig deep enough to understand what's being said. Love is such a broad term. So I'm going to identify a word. It's a difficult word. The word is passion. I've been a Christian 110 years, and I have heard sermon after sermon, especially in youth convention settings. And man, I've heard some powerful sermons on passion. There's a problem with that word. First of all, biblically, if you were to do a word search with the word passion, only a few scriptures will come up, and they will all have to do with sexual lust, sin. It'll actually have evil desire. Okay, so, so you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, what does the Bible say about passion? Don't, don't have it, you know. Don't let, you know. So that's, that doesn't work. Well, so what I, I did, I, I know that there are words that will help us. So I actually went to the dictionary, and um, you do this all online now, and, you, and I, I just discovered, you know, there are different concepts and thoughts concerning the word passion. It's, it's a good word in our culture. We use it. It can be evil. It can be good. In fact, it can be powerful. And we have identified the word passion as something far deeper than just excitement. When I was at the men's meeting Tuesday night, we were, I tossed that word out there. I said, hey guys, what is passion? 
And how do we have passion for God? And let's talk about that tonight. And so, uh, so we did. And I don't know who said it, but man, was this powerful. Somebody said, the difference between excitement and passion is this. Excitement is what you get. Passion is what you give. Ooh. When, when an, an event happens or something, you know, Buffalo Bill score a touchdown, we get excited. Well, what, what am I looking for there? Man, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking for my emotional response. We get excited or somebody gives us something or says something nice to us, or we're anticipating a fun event. We get excited about it. Excitement is for us. Excitement is our emotional response. It's really all about me, excitement. Passion is what you will love so much that you will give your life toward it or you will serve that entity even when you don't feel good, even when you don't feel like it. If you're passionate about something, you will actually deny yourself to give yourself to that entity. That's the difference between getting excited, which is an emotional response that makes me feel good, whereas passion is something that's so deep, it has very little to do with my feelings. In fact, it will move against my feelings. And the greatest example of that, we're the ones, you know, the, 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 uh, the English language has put this term passion to, and I, it probably came before the English language, but it probably was started in uh, uh, another language, another European language. But, but we identified the whole week of Christ and his suffering as the Passion Week. Now, that word's not in the Bible to describe that. That's our term. But what that means is this. It's, it's actually a word for suffering. Well, that's different than excitement, if, if you know what I mean. What it's talking about here is that Jesus was so passionate toward us, that he suffered for us. He was so given to uh, our lives and the salvation of our souls and the love for us as his people that he went to the extent of total suffering and even death. That's passion. When you're passionate enough for something that you'll give your life to it, that's passion. Jesus was not easily excitable. He lived every moment with a sense of passion. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is the story of a certain man and his two sons. Then he said, Jesus, Jesus told this parable, a certain man had two sons. This is verse 11, Luke chapter 15. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land 
and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, has that ever happened to you? You might have hit a wall, you know. You don't know what to do next, and you come to yourself. You don't want to wait until then, by the way. But you come to yourself. He came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. Think of the Ephesian church. It's a good church. This is a good guy. He's never crossed his father. He's always been good to him. He's always obeyed him. He is picture perfect, son. But this event has caused something deep within him to come out. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who was devoured, who has devoured your, your livelihood. Hey, you, let me give you a little secret here. What that younger son did was shameful. Oh my goodness. You don't get your inheritance until the father dies. It was like coming to his father and saying, I wish you were dead. It was like coming to his father and saying, you just as well be dead. I want my inheritance now. What he did was utterly shameful to the father. He's devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf with him for him. 
And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and he is alive again and was lost and is found. I'm going to give you a new word this morning. The word is neuroplasticity. Say that 10 times real fast. Neuroplasticity. Now, the reason I know this word, I didn't actually remember the word, but I know the concept really well. It's a medical term that describes what happens when your neural pathways are blocked for some reason. Maybe you had an accident or something happened where there's a, a block in the, in the transference of your nerves in your nervous system. And so it will block, you know, it might even be a mental illness or something like that, but there's a block. And so the neuropath has a wall in front of it. And what happens is what God has given us the capability for is for that there, for there to be created new pathways. Now, you, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of, of, of mentally or physically or spiritually forcing a new pathway. Now, I experienced this myself to some degree when I was, it was in the late 90s, and I've told the story in another context, but I had, um, uh, I, one day I began to realize that I couldn't write very well. It got worse. Um, I found myself hitting walls, uh, and then it got so bad that I was walking on the sidewalk. Carol was beside me one day in the sidewalk in the back of our house in North Carolina, and uh, I thought my leg was in front of me. My mind was saying, you're walking, this leg has to go next, but the signal did not pass through, and I fell flat on my face. There was a bruise in my spinal column. I had a ruptured disc, didn't know this, and it had rubbed and created a bruise on my spinal cord. And so the signal from my brain was not making it to my extremities and the way I walked or, and I would get out of bed in the morning and fall flat on my knees. I, I, it just, the signal was not making its way. I was not in pain at all. The signal wasn't passing through. They thought I had Lou Gehrig's disease. Let that sink in for a while. But that when they finally discovered what it was, it was a doctor at Duke University, and he was a bold, born-again, Holy Spirit-filled Christian. That's what you want from Duke Hospital, okay? And, uh, and so he said, man, we're going to believe for healing. That's what he told me. This is a, this, this great doctor. He said, we're going we're gonna to believe for healing together. He said, but let me tell you something. If there's the possibility that even though the, if that bruise doesn't heal, there's the possibility of you learning to force your walk, force your movements, and that there will actually be a, uh, some connections, some connections will begin to happen and actually form a new pathway for your nerves. And it was this, neuroplasticity. That's what that is. That God gave us that. That's a part of us. So listen, can I say this to you? If your memory's slipping and that kind of thing, don't give in so quickly. 
You know, get your mind active and get involved and read and be around people and do things because, because that, that is, you don't have to give in to that. See? All right. So, so challenge yourself so that you can move, get, let this kick into, into play. All right. So I'm going to give you a new term. The term is spiritual plasticity. Spiritual plasticity. You're in a place where you've hit the wall. You don't see a way around it. The ceiling is getting really low. And, and all of the issues and, and, the, and the problems, in your, they're crowding in, and you're actually losing your sense of motivation, and you're becoming sour in your soul because you don't see a way out. Spiritual plasticity. Say that 20 times real fast. Plasticity. There we go. Spiritual plasticity. There's another name for it. And the reason I did this was because when I say the word, you're going to say, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's when you feel, that's when you're sorry. The word is repent. Repentance. The actual meaning of the word repentance is to take a different direction. That's the actual. And it involves your, you know, sorrow for what you've done, but it's a godly sorrow. It's not a worldly sorrow. And I I won't read the scripture, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, and you'll read it. Paul talks about it. So there's there's a godly sorrow, but it drives you to a fresh zeal in your heart. It drives you to a, to a place of repentance, which is actually hitting the wall and then coming to yourself and new thoughts start developing. And you think, wait just a minute, what am I doing here? My father has servants who are not hungry. Why am I here? I know I could at least go back and, and tell him that I'm sorry for what I'm done. I know he'll let me be one of his servants. Surely he'll let me do that, and I won't go hungry. That was spiritual plasticity. It's I'm going to take a different direction. I've got to quit doing the same old, same old. We've got to go a different way here, or I'm going to die. That's where he was. And it's amazing what will come. Amazing what will develop inside of you when you come to that point. And so the son comes back to the father and he comes and repents. Then there's the older son. Now see, he really has kind of the same problem. He's in a rut. He's a good guy. He's faithful. He's strong. He's patient. He's obeyed. There's, there's, there's no offense. This guy has lived a good life. He's actually from the outside in a really good place. But on the inside, he's not in a good place. And when his, his brother comes to the father, what's on the inside comes out. And it's called anger. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, 
these many years I've been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf. There are a few words there. Anger, jealousy. They came from deep within. That's been building. That's been a man who's been walking in the rut. You know, the rut, if you continue to walk in the rut, it tends to become a gutter. And you mentally live in an atmosphere that will bring you down. Most people think this story is about the two brothers. Don't miss the most important part. There's the father. The Bible says when the younger son came up the road, it says in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had come passion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. By the way, what the father did was out of character. It was embarrassing, and it was actually shameful. The the father of the house, especially of this kind of household, he'd be wearing a robe. And so as it, the, in their culture, it was shameful to run in the road because it would come up, the legs would be exposed, and that was just a shameful thing even for men. It was just a shameful thing. And so you could walk fast, but you couldn't run when you had the robe on. And so the, this father cared less about what he looked like. He defied even his own culture and went against the grain. And he ran to his son shamelessly and embraced him with all the love he could possibly give. The Bible says he had compassion. Boy, when I saw that word in this story, I could have, I could have taken a, a run around a block or two because I literally discovered it in the study. And I saw it and I went, whoa, we're going to look that up. And so, I, of course, we all think of sympathy. That's not deep enough. Pity, that's not deep enough. We even know the term the heart. But the actual word in the Greek for heart is, is, is different than what we think. And so I looked up, and this word compassion, C-O-M, come, is simply with. So it's like with passion. And we know that that translates into how you can feel about another person, all right, and have compassion, especially if they're in need, and we have compassion for them. This word actually goes back, and that word and the root word say this, compassion with passion, to be moved as to one's bowels. Hence, to be moved with compassion, have compassion. The bowels 
We're not talking about the bowel of a ship, by the way. The bowels were thought to be the seat of the more violent passions, such as love, jealousy, or anger. We call it the heart. The bowels? This is a really exciting thing to talk about just before we have lunch. Why would they use the term bowels to talk about what? The deepest part of your being. This is not the stomach. This is the intestines. That's what this is. I'm having intestinal feelings for you. I mean, that doesn't really connect. You know what I mean? <laughs> my grandfather was, he was a character. My mother's here this morning. She, she's now getting nervous when I'm talking about my grandfather. Her father, his name was uh, Perry, but I called him Papa. And uh, one day I was about 10 years old and walked into the kitchen and Papa was, everybody else was in the next room talking and he was in the kitchen sitting at the table eating something out of a jar. And, uh, and I walked in and said, what's that, Papa? And he said, come on, son, I'll give you some. And he pulled it, and it smelled awful because it came out of a jar of vinegar. That's to make you think it was clean. And he took it out, and he laid it down there and cut it, and he said, it tastes just like chicken. I said, well, what is it? He said, well, it's chitlins. I see most of you don't know what chitlins is because you live in the north. Chitlins is the intestines of the pig. We eat every part of the pig except for the squeal. You can go to North Carolina and you can go to some shops and you can literally get any part of the pig in a jar. <laughs> Carol's so glad we've not gone to those stores together. Anyway, so my grandfather says, son, it tastes just like chicken. I want you to know something. It does not taste like chicken. <laughs> My parents, I think mother probably won't even remember this, but I remember them getting so upset at him because he had me eating chitlins, you know. The pig's intestines. It's not a pretty sight. But that is your most inner being. Can't get deeper than that. And so... They're saying the Jewish people were saying, this is the, the depth of who I am. When I'm passionate about something, then it's coming from the deepest part of my inner core. It's not excitement. It's not anything that's frivolous. We're talking about something I'm willing to die. We're talking about willing, something I'm willing to give my time to, something I'm willing to sacrifice for. That's passion. It's not something you receive. It's something you give out of that place. Do you realize we're not talking about the restored passion of the son? We're talking about the passion of the father. Here's where we've gotten it wrong. So you put yourself in the son's shoes. And somebody came to me after the service. He said, hey, I got a question. When the son was 
you know, coming to himself and he had this thought of going to the Father. Was he being sincere or was he just thinking, if I go to him and tell him I'm sorry, maybe he'll let me be a servant? And, and in some ways, I'm going to say to you, does it really matter? Well, it does, but it doesn't. Here's why. Remember, King David was not sorry for what he did until he was confronted with it. You remember that? All right. And most people are like that because our tendency is to think this. Our tendency is to think, maybe if I'm good enough, he'll take me back. But at least he was talking about going back. The, the, the new pathway in his mind was getting him going in the right direction. That was true with David. It took the confrontation of the prophet to say, David, look what you're doing. And so, so in some ways it doesn't matter because if we get on the pathway back to the father, he'll straighten it out. He is going back to the father. He really, in and of himself, did not know how to restore his passion. The point of this whole story is that you cannot restore your own passion. Get this. The passion is God's. It's his passion for you that changes everything. So this, you know this scripture now. I'm going to give you word to identify. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. My passion is restored because of his passion for me. It's actually the reception of his passion. It's the way you were saved. You were saved by grace through faith and even the faith God had to give you. It's coming to the Father and letting his passion, his love for you be poured out, even if you don't deserve it. You can't work for that. You can't be his servant to deserve it. He won't have it. Kill the fatted calf. Go get the robe and get the ring. This is my son. He had died and now he's alive again. That's passion. Now I'm going to give you a TD to take home with you. TD. First, I'm going to give you a story. A picture. Friday night, and I love it when God gives me a sermon illustration the week of the message, because then I know I'm on the right track. <laughs> so Friday night, uh, Chris and Liz went out to dinner, and Chris is my son. They, and, um, they left, of course, left the kids with us. You know, uh, He'd be in serious trouble if he found a babysitter. The grandparents are in town. You know what I mean? And so they brought um, Amelia and Jack uh, over to the house, and Amelia you know, uh, preschool, and she loves Disney movies and that kind of thing. And, and Marmy said, why don't we watch a movie? And he, she said, do you want to see Cinderella? Well, you know, I used my two girls, they're, they're grown and gone now, but my two girls, uh, I watched every possible 
young chick flick that you could possibly see. You know, there are a couple of movies I can repeat all the lines to, all right? Beauty and the Beast, you know, try me out. So, uh, those were the years. Well, I had not seen Cinderella, and I wanted to see it. I heard it was good, but you don't tell anybody that you want to see Cinderella when you're a guy, and, and you're not going to go to the movie by yourself to see Cinderella, you know. So, but I heard it was good, so when Amelia, when Carol said, I said, I want to see it. So Amelia and I sat on the couch and had popcorn and, and, and we were watching the movie. Well, Carol's walking around with Jack trying to put him to sleep and he's six months old. And so he was crying and fussy and you know how it is, but Carol's recovering and she was, you know, her arms aren't as strong as they need to be yet. And, and so she says, Craig, would you do this? And I said, absolutely. So I'm walking him around and, and, uh, and he's, fussing and I'm bouncing and walking. You know how it goes. And you, you do all the little things. I learned this. I had five kids. I know what to do. And so I've got him walking around. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go back in here and get right into the side of the TV so that Amelia can still see it. And besides, I'm missing the movie. And I'm going to come back over and, I'm, and Jack, I'm going to let Jack see the screen up close. And so he went back and they're right at the point where all the magic is happening. And, you know, there are fireworks in the sky and that kind of thing. And little Jack goes like this. And he's mesmerized and just looking at it, you know. And so he was so tired. That's why he was fussy that he, once he got caught in the moment, he came to himself, if you will. He, I had his hand right there, my hand right there. And he just laid his little head down on my hand and just went to sleep. Now we've got a problem. Can't put him down. He'll wake up. So I sit down in the chair and lean back with it and just lay him on my chest. And I couldn't talk because if I talked, he, he would wake up. His little eyes would open. He'd look at me like that. And then, then he would, you know, put his head back down and go to sleep. I would laugh or, you know, well, it would just disturb him. So I moved, he moved. He could hear my heartbeat. He was laying right there. Two hours. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, I'm telling you, I'll take that on a Friday night anyway. And it hit me. Is this boy even capable of knowing how much he's loved? Is it even possible for him to know how much he's loved? And I'm just the grandparent. And I know how much his parents love him. Do we even have the ability to understand how intense his passion is for us. Can we even know it? Jesus proved it. He acted on it. That's what he did. It's that deep. Maybe I have to become like a child again to receive it, accept it. I'm going to ask Chris to come back. And we're going to close with a song. Here's the TD. Just do two things. And I guarantee you, in the whole process of the young son, he did these two things. First, thanks. Just give thanks. You want to know where to start? Do you want to know how to reconnect with the passion of God for you? Here's how you receive it. Give thanks. Thank you, Father, 
for what you've done for me. Thank you for who you are for me. Thank you for being faithful to me. You just begin to give thanks and all of a sudden your heart starts opening up and his passion becomes real again. The second, the D, is the word delight. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I know we look at that and say, he's going to give me what I want. Maybe it's that he's going to give you the want. He's going to give you the actual desire. Maybe this is all about God restoring right desire in me. The passion is stirred. The passion is received when I delight myself in the Lord. This younger son had no honor or no feelings about his father. He wished he were dead. But in that state that he was in, he began to realize, I've got to find the place of delight. For my father. When he came back and the father responded that way, I guarantee you that boy learned to delight in his father. Let's stand together. We're going to close with a song because I just feel like we need to express this to God before we go home. Let's sing this together. <laughs>